tree was all the same I was under the sky, no new horizons Maybe there is no one else to Welcome back to episode two of season five of the Campbell's Footballs podcast. Now, at the moment during the summer, uh, we've been really blessed by the European Championships, which have been going on uh, for us to enjoy on television. However, that, that hasn't stopped other leagues uh, from taking their seasons very much at full spin. And the League of Ireland really has been very entertaining so far this season. And to chat to me all about it is one of the hosts of the Between the Stripes podcast, Kieran Burke. Kieran. Warm welcome to the show to you. Thanks very much. Great to be on. It's great to have you on the show. How has things been over in Ireland? Because it's been very disappointing, obviously, that Ireland are not at the European Championships, but there's plenty on the domestic scene that have kept people entertained throughout. Yeah, the domestic season's been great, to be fair. Uh, the biggest disappointment, obviously, is that up until the last couple of weeks, there's been no spectators at the grounds for, for well over a year. Now, at the moment, the clubs are allowed... If, you're, if your stadium is under 5,000 capacity, you're allowed 100 fans in. And um, from my point of view, I'm a Longford Town fan. We're allowed 200 because we have a 5,000 plus uh, capacity stadium. But still, when you see um, the likes of the Budapest Stadium with the Euros full 65,000 and you see the, the Denmark Stadium as well with 35 or 50,000 in whatever it is, it's a bit disappointing. We're not allowed more. But look, we won't go into politics on this podcast. But uh, overall, uh, the season's been absolutely fantastic. been some great football played despite all of that going on in the background. So, um, yeah, it's been really enjoyable. The League of Ireland adopts a very different model to some of your conventional leagues over in Europe, playing in the, the sort of August start date, finishing in May. Does that give League of Ireland a bit of a, a more exposure than, than other leagues, perhaps? It probably should, but as a league, we probably don't make um, enough of that, I, I think. Um, so your, your, your listeners probably won't be aware that this season there was a new streaming service well, last season when, when the pandemic started there was a new streaming service launch called Watch LOI that was run jointly by RT the main national broadcaster here and with the with the FAI um, and to be fair it was great to start out I mean it was the first time you could ever sit down and watch every single League of Ireland Premier Division game um, it was very good value I think it was 79 quid for the year or something like that um, you could sit down and watch every game and the games were spaced out across the weekend as well. So you could sit down and watch three or four or five games if you wanted to do so. So that was fantastic. The product itself could have been a lot better. Um, there was no replays. Some games, there was only one commentator. Some of the commentators, you could tell they weren't real followers of the league, let's say. Um, mm -hmm. So there was some shortcomings with it. Um, and then this year, the service, it was kept on, even though we were told that the viewing figures were quite disappointing. But again, a lack of, a lack of market and a lack of, as I said, some of, some issues with the product would have, would have um, been a reason behind that. Um, so this year, RT said they could only commit to doing it for half a season because obviously they need their cameras back then for the Euros this summer and as well for the upcoming Olympics. So then um, we were due as a league to move to Pixelot cameras. And I think that's something in Scotland that you use um, for lower league matches. They're the unmanned camera. That wasn't popular with the clubs because they tested them. They didn't think they were up to scratch. Uh, so what we have now is a new platform called LOI TV where the clubs themselves are running it uh, and it's on a, a centralised platform. Again, it's very good value, but already there's been a big improvement. You've got replays. You've got the clubs providing their own commentators. So, mm -hmm. I mean, there's a bit of passion behind the microphone. There's a bit of um, friendly banter between fans and the like. So it, it, I think it can be definitely brought on and built on. And as you said, it's, with a league in the summer, there's times where there's no football on telly for weeks. The League of Ireland should really, really be marketing themselves more to an international audience. 
Yeah, the reason I ask that question is because I follow a lot of the football in Northern Ireland and, you know, it's a very similar approach that clubs have taken to do their own commentary in-house. Some have had their own streams and some have been very well received. I know particularly Coleraine, Larne, Balomina, um, even Glen and Cliftonville have done very, very well throughout this. Carrick have done an awful lot of stuff as well behind the scenes, just to mention uh, a few there. How important is it for a country's league to really highlight its own and market its own league very well? All you have to do is look at the Irish national team. I mean, the vast majority of players in that team have come through the League of Ireland at some stage in their career. If you look at the underage teams now that are starting to really thrive, I think if you look at the Irish national team, the senior team's results at the moment, you'll say, my God, Irish football is in trouble. I mean, we were one down to Andorra recently. <laughs> we lost to, uh, to Luxembourg. I mean, the results haven't been great, but I'm a big believer of the man in charge there, Stephen Kenny, legendary figure within Irish football, uh, within League of Ireland circles, particularly for what he done at the dock. And I think if you look at the young players coming through the underage ranks, again, a lot of them are playing in the League of Ireland. Um, and over the last five or six years now, there's been a real shift as well in Irish football. So for many, many decades, it was the schoolboy clubs here that kind of ran the underage side of things. They developed the young talent, they play in the Dublin District Schoolboy League, and then English clubs would come over buy them for a pittance and away they'd go and we'd be relying on the English clubs almost to develop our best young talent but now all of the League of Ireland clubs have under 13 teams under 15 under 17 under 19 and then senior so the League of Ireland clubs themselves are developing the talent and they're giving them a pathway to senior football and we've seen a lot of players go over maybe the age of 16 or 17 across to England across to Scotland and places didn't work out they came home they were homesick and they either struggle to get back into football or they totally fell out with the love of the game altogether. Whereas now they can stay for a couple of years, play senior real men's football and then go over when they're that little bit older, a little bit more mature. And I think we'll see, we'll see more fruits of that. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned Stephen Kenny there and in a previous uh, episode of my show back in Series 4, I spoke with uh, Declan Devine, the, the former Derry City manager. And those two had a, a really great relationship, obviously, in Scottish football with Dunfermline. But that, the Derry City story really was uh, absolutely fantastic with them. But but Stephen is a real uh, kind of icon of the Republic of Irish game. And I really hope he gets it right because he has a very difficult time at home because the Republic of Ireland on the international stage seems to be going through a real flux at the moment. Yeah, um, just just on Stephen Kenny, obviously. So, as I said earlier, I'm a Longford Town fan. That's where he started his career as a 26-year-old manager. Longford Town was the... We were almost the laughing stock of Irish football at that time. Um, might get 50 people out of the game. It was basically just a field with a railing around it. Uh, we were always at the bottom of the league, having to be re-elected year after year. Kenny came in, and all of a sudden, Longford Town went through this massive transformation. He got them promoted to the Premier Division for the first time in their history got them into Europe for the first time in their history. A brand new all-seater stadium, all-seater stadium was built, which is still there today. And it's one of the best stadiums in Irish football, considering the resources Longford have compared to the rest. I mean, it's a credit what Longford have there, but a lot of that is thanks to what Stephen Kenny did during his time. So maybe I'm a little bit biased and I, and I really do want to see him succeed more than most people. But um, I actually live in Dundalk as well. So I seen close hand what he'd done here. He did the same at Derry. He was very good with the provincial clubs. He kind of, not just what he done on the field, but he really got the town and everyone rowing in behind them. And I think if he's just given time with this Irish team, I think he can do similar because, as I said, I, I see some really good young players coming through. He, you have to remember, he's trying to change an entire mentality for yes. the last 30, 40 years. It's been direct route one football, put them under pressure, as Jack Charlton famously said. That was great back then. It doesn't work now. We've got a limited pool of players to pick from. 
And I think the way the game is changing here with the academies, with the way teams are keeping possession more, we need to change to a more possession-based style of football. Now, I'm not kidding myself. We're not going to go out and play Spain and out-possess them with the football. But when we're playing some of the lower-ranked nations, there's no reason we can't get on the front foot, play some nice football, and play an attacking brand of football that people want to go out and watch. So that's what Kenny's trying to do. Yeah, absolutely. I'm intrigued to learn a little bit more about yourself throughout this podcast, Kieran, as well as talk about League of Ireland more generally, and that's probably the main focus of my show. But in terms of your own personal journey in football, did you always want to be involved in the footballing game from the beginning? Yeah, definitely. Um, like everyone, you want to be a player, that you're, you, you soon realise that's not going to happen. Uh, you'd like <laughs> to be a manager, you realise how expensive that is. That's probably not going to happen. So... Um, I've always had an interest in media, uh, journalism, broadcast. Don't know where it came from. Um, just even when I was a young kid, I was always watching the news and uh, you'd almost go and recreate the news yourself then after as a young child. Uh, I don't know where that came from, but um, I suppose when I was in school, I started up a few different blogs and different things um, and I was just always kind of keen on writing. Uh, and then over the last maybe five, ten years, broadcasting I got really into that um, I launched the podcast as you said there back in 2017 I think we launched it and uh, I just really got the bug then for broadcast and I absolutely love uh, doing the podcast every week that that had a huge uh, it's had huge success really uh, mm-hmm. to think that all we have when, all we had when we started out and still really all we have is a laptop a couple of microphones uh, and that's it we don't have a big fancy studio we do the recording from home or sometimes we were given offices we could use and things like that Um so to see the product that we actually continue to put out each and every week against some of the kind of more well-resourced um, broadcasters, I suppose, um, it really is a credit to to what we're doing. So, um, yeah, just I've always had an interest in broadcasting. I, I now work full-time as a sports broadcaster. I'm involved with Longford Town on their media team, doing commentary for them, do a bit for local radio as well. So uh, just really got bit by the bug and, and still love it to this day. Absolutely fantastic. And that enthusiastic emotion that comes through that, just absolutely fantastic to hear that, Kieran. What about inspirations in terms of writing? Did you look at any writers in the broadcasting game to get a feel of where you might see yourself going? Um, I suppose I was just always reading newspapers, um, even in school. Um, I wasn't, I suppose, a big academic lover, so I'd be down the back of the classroom with, with some of the football pullouts and reading the transfer news and different things like that. Um so I suppose I wouldn't really have had one person that I was I was kind of inspired by. I just was always reading newspapers, reading blogs, reading websites, watching the news, listening to shows. Um, and I suppose I just took little bits and pieces from everywhere without even realising it. Yeah, absolutely. Be- Between the Stripes podcast, uh, your one-stop shop for all Between the Stripes content from our weekly League of Ireland podcast, our latest TV interviews, written content and more. When did you first come up with the idea and how has it become such a successful product? Um, well, it was launched in 2016. Um, so as I said, I'm, I'm involved with, with Longford Town um, in the media side of things. But back then, Longford didn't really have a media team and we were f- falling way behind every other club in the league. I would have been very critical of the club at the time. Um, players were coming and going. You wouldn't hear about it unless you were kind of in the know. It wouldn't have been posted online. Um, a lack of match reports, no sort of interviews with managers, players, any of that. So I would have been very critical of the club at the time. Um, I kind of made these suggestions I felt they weren't been taken on board so I said right I'm going to do it myself so I set up Between the Stripes initially it was launched as an unofficial Longford Town news network so I was going to have match reports interviews all of that type of thing and that's what I did starting out it was very successful like Longford to be a club might average about 500 supporters at a game and you would have had that 
reading your pieces. So you were like, wow, this is kind of quite popular. This is what people want. So mm. did that for maybe a year or so. And then uh, Longford brought in a guy called James Donnelly as their media manager. And since then, everything has just been on an upward curve. Incredible work he's done and highlights of the matches, interviews uh, after games, stuff constantly on the social during the week to build up to the matches. Uh, and then obviously now with the pandemic, the club has had to launch streaming and all the rest. So um, when James came in, he brought me on board and immediately I could see the club, right, they want to improve the online side of things. So I was like, my work is kind of done here with Between the Stripes. What do I do next with it? So I decided yeah. to branch it out to the entire League of Ireland um, mm. and cover the league as a whole. Obviously, there'll still always be that maybe little extra bit of more long for coverage on it. That's where my passion lies, but it, it's still... It covers the entire league in, in an unbiased manner. So um, we were just doing stuff online, kind of interviews again, match previews, reports. And then 2017, the summer 2017, um, Longford actually sacked their manager, Alan Matthews. And it was kind of quite controversial at the time because he was after beating Wexford 5-0. He was sacked after that game. So it kind of divided the fan base a little bit. I was invited onto a local radio with another guy called John Breyer to discuss it. And we had a great debate at the time. And I just turned to John Affer and I said, that was really good. And people were texting in the local radio station saying, I'd love to hear more of the two guys. It was a really interesting debate. And I said to John, would you be up for starting a podcast? John uh, is actually English. He was, uh, he's a massive Yeovil Town fan. Had started following Longford here because he loves to go out to watch live football. But he said to me at the time, I'm not really following the league as a whole as much, but I'm sure, you know, after a while I'll pick it up and I'd love to learn on the go. So yeah, I'll do the show with you. Lo and behold, if you ask John anything now about any player in the league, he will know. He absolutely eats, breathes and sleeps it. He loves it. So um, we started up the podcast. Huge success ever since. And every year, I suppose, we've kind of added a layer on. And just to make it clear to your listeners as well, this is a totally voluntary thing. I do this on the side away from a day job. Um, so I would love to be able to sit here all day and do Between the Stripes, but that's not possible. I have to go and, and make a living like everyone else. So um yeah, the, the podcast started in 2017. I think the year after that, then we launched uh, Between the Stripes TV. That's our YouTube channel. We were going yep. around to matches and doing shows and interviews and things like that. Uh, I think in around that time as well, we were doing um, live match commentaries as well. So that mm -hmm. was before there was streaming in the league. So I pick a random game each and every weekend and I go and commentate on it online. And that was very popular as well. Um, and, and this year we launched a new website as well. So uh, yeah, we've got written stuff, we've got podcasts, we've got video content. There's a lot going on there for uh, for what is essentially a, a part-time operation. Absolutely. Some fantastic content there. And it's really great that there, the connection that you and John have as a, as a double act has been absolutely fantastic. I've watched a lot of your videos and, and I think they're really good. And I myself am picking up a lot more following the League of Ireland. Because as I said, I know a lot about the Northern Irish League, but I don't know so much about the League of Ireland. And I'd like to know a little bit more about it because I think it's a league that gets underappreciated because you look at the success of Shamrock Rovers and Dundall getting into the Europa League and you hear the stories of Derry and, you know, other stories falling throughout the league, like Longford coming up. It's it's interesting to watch that every club has a story. Yeah, most definitely so. And look, I suppose that's one of the reasons we do the podcast as well, aside from wanting to give League of Ireland fans something to listen to and enjoy. We're always hoping that we'll just somebody will stumble across the podcast somewhere that's not a League of Ireland fan and suddenly will take a keen interest in it. And one thing that kind of defines us from a lot of the other podcasts, because there's so many of them now, when we started, I suppose, we probably got in at the right time. There was one or two mainstream ones and then we came in almost as a, 
by the fans, for the fans type of thing, although it was still a very professional product at the same time. Um, and a lot of people kind of latched onto that and, and, and enjoyed it. But now there's every club has a podcast, there's fans podcast, there's mainstream ones. So there's a lot there, there's a lot of uh, competition, but that's great because the more people talking about the league, the better. But um, the one thing that defines us from the rest of them, I suppose, we really give the first division um, its fair share of coverage. We go 50-50 on the show every week. We talk about Excellent. the Premier Division. And then we talk about the first division as well. And we go in depth on every game. Whereas a lot of the other shows, they might, if you're lucky, give you the results uh, on the table, but they won't talk about the games and what's happening at the clubs. They won't have interviews from the first division clubs. We do that because unfortunately, most of my life as a Longford Town fan has been spent in the first division. So <laughs> I know how frustrating it is when you're in that league and you've had a fantastic result at the weekend and you don't hear about it anywhere. Um, so even though we're in the Premier now, I hope we're going to stay in the Premier for a long time. The First Division will always get its fair share on our show and we get an awful lot of First Division fans messaging us saying, love that interview with whoever it was or that was a great point you made about the game, really enjoying your First Division coverage. And sometimes we get Premier fans saying to us, I don't really follow the First Division, but through your show, I'm able to keep up to date with it and I've taken an interest in the First Division. So that's what it's all about. You're trying to expose the, the league to new people all the time. Yeah, but I think that's very important because, as you say, it's exposing the league more and more. But also it gives every club in the, the Premiership and in the League One or the Championship or whatever you're calling it down there a bit more exposure. And I think every club has a story, as I mentioned earlier on. And I try to do the same in, in Scottish football and with a little bit of my Northern Irish football content on the show and a few others as well, because there is unsung stories that do need to be told. And it, it gives people a little bit of an education. Hopefully people listening to this show might think that as well when we come in to talk a little bit more about that about the teams in there, some of the players that people should be keeping an eye on. And I think that's very exciting to see that. I was having a look at some of your, your most recent podcasts. You've had some uh, really great people on the show, but there's one guy I really want to talk to you about, and that is Jim Majolton, the previous guest I had on my show. What was Jim like to interview? Um, Jim can be prickly, to be honest. He can be. Um, I, I don't know if he'd be listening to this. Uh, he might uh, not appreciate <laughs> that, or he might agree. Um, but look, I suppose that's a very... High pressure job he was in at Dundalk. Uh, he went. He went in initially as sporting director. Um, there was a lot of upheaval, upheaval around the club in the background that can't have been easy to deal with. And then he was thrown into the role of caretaker manager while the team was struggling. You've got a fan base there that's very, very demanding. Um, so I'm sure when results are going the way they were at the time, and you have someone like me that's pressing them hard with questions. Um, I think the, the interview in particular I done with him, and um, they got a lot of reaction from people was after they had actually played Longford um, and their goalkeeper, Peter Cherry, who came in from Derry in the off-season. Um, I would have said it on our podcast at the time. I didn't see Peter Cherry has been at that level anymore. He played against Longford. He made two dreadful mistakes in the game and um, they ended up drawing the game 2-2 because of those two goals that he let in. Um, the other goalkeeper they brought in, Alessio Abibi, has come in from, I think he was in the Italian C division most recently, but he was a total unknown, um, this man, and he's come in and... He just it hasn't worked out. It's, it's been a disaster. So they've got two keepers there, both of them shipping goals every week. They were chopping and changing. They kind of made a decision to stick with Cherry at that point. Um, he made the mistake he did against Longford. And I asked Jim after the game, why don't you have a third-choice goalkeeper at the club? Because Dundalk have by far and away the biggest budget in Irish football. If you read the papers here at the moment, it's reported their budget it, this year alone is about €4 million. Euro. Wow. I'm not going to tell you what Longford Town's budget is, but it's not even... <laughs> it's not even a tenth, a tenth of that, of that. Mm -hmm. yeah so um, 
for Longford to have three goalkeepers, I found it very strange. A club like the Dock didn't have a third choice because it was very evident very early on in the year. These two goalkeepers they had weren't up to the grade. So you think you'll get another goalkeeper in um, because it, it was clear that this was going to happen um, and they didn't. So I don't think Jim appreciated that question when, when I pushed him on it. But look, that's totally fine. Um, he has every right to to uh, stand up for himself and stand up for his club. And, um, you know, I never take these things to heart. That That's the job of a journalist and a reporter. So ask the hard questions. I feel sometimes maybe in this league, some of the reporters don't do that. Um, maybe it's because they, they have close connections to certain clubs or whatever. But look, um, I, I like to ask the hard questions. I certainly do. That might win me some fans. It might lose me some fans, but that's the way I am. Um, I'd never do a podcast where I wouldn't, let my true feelings be known put it that way I think it's very important to, to say what you're thinking still you have to be respectful to all the players all the managers and everyone um, but at the same time it's a, it is a it is a league that a lot of people are passionate about so I think those type of questions have to be asked so uh, yeah it was an interesting interview with Jim but uh, look um, people enjoyed it so that's all that matters so the reason I ask is I spoke with Jim on my own show and I found Jim a, a really great character I was just talking about his career and obviously his movement from playing in that great Ipswich team and then moving into management and you know you just come across as a really infectious character and just talking about his own career on the international stage I thought he was a really top guy and I, when I saw him moving across to the League of Ireland there, I thought it was a really big move for him I thought it was a really big opportunity for him and you know I think he's finding it maybe a little bit tougher than maybe he even expected it himself and I, I really wish him well because I think he's a top top guy but it was really interested to hear firsthand your own experiences of dealing with him hence I asked that question in terms of some of the other guys you've interviewed for the show who's really stood out um, we had one last year that was absolutely massive um, he's a man I had been looking to get a hold of for years could never get a contact from and just pure pot luck one day I seen a relative of his um, pop up on my timeline I sent them a message and they got in touch with him and he was more than happy to come on a couple of times and that man is Roddy Collins um, maybe you might have seen the Rod Squad back in the day I, yes. I think it was Sky One it aired on where he was um, Carlisle manager um, so kind of a legendary figure in Irish football a little bit of a Marmite figure as well some people absolutely love him some people absolutely hate him uh, we had him on tell all kind of interview it, it was initially meant to be just a normal run of the mill interview whereas kind of most weeks we'd have two or three guests and we might keep them on 10 or 15 minutes mm -hmm. and that'd be it because it can be a long show when you're covering all the games from both divisions and, and whatever hot topics are happening as well, it could be two hours or more sometimes. So sometimes we just have to limit the interviews to 10 minutes or whatever. But as soon as I got on the phone with Roddy, I knew this wasn't going to be a 10 minute interview. I was on the phone with him for a solid two hours. So uh, we decided the only thing we could do was release a Roddy Collins special um, a podcast on its own dedicated to Roddy. And I never seen a reaction like it ever any of our shows down the years. It was just absolutely huge. People couldn't get enough of them. So we had them on again a couple of weeks later to, to follow up on it again. And that was very popular as well. But yeah, for me, that has been one of the highlights over the last four years. Definitely that interview with Roddy Collins. There are certain guys in football that are just that infectious character. I mean, in Scottish football, we have Craig Brown, who is just an absolute legend. And I personally, in one of my signature shows on Campbell's Footballs, went round uh, to Craig Brown's house and spent three hours with him. And we actually had to release the show as a two-part special, talking about, obviously, his management career in, in the Scotland national team and then talking about his time managing Motherwell and Aberdeen and Preston North End. And it was absolutely fantastic. And I, I, I could have... It was just a, a three hours, but we could have we could have been friends for years. We just talked yeah. so much about stuff. And, you know, you get characters like that in the game. It really is absolutely fantastic. In terms of being involved in the, the League of Ireland cell with Longford, Kieran... 
obviously your own club is a really interesting club to keep an eye on. But when you guys go away to games in the League of Ireland, which grounds stand out for you? They all have different qualities, I suppose. Uh, just for example, like Friday night there, we were playing um, Finn Harps in Bally Buffet in Donegal. I mean, this is a real throwback, this ground. Um, I, I don't know, would you have anything even like it in Scotland? I mean, <laughs> this is something from 70 or 80 years ago, you'd see. It's literally just kind of something resembling a cow shed on one side of the ground and then the rest is kind of open. But it's amazing. <laughs> When Finn Harps are going well, if you pick, if you pack seven or eight hundred people in under that shed, the noise is absolutely incredible. I've had some great nights there, um, and then the people as well of Donegal have their own unique charm to them. And even something as small as you go up there, and they're famous for their homemade soup. Mm. <laughs> so Ooh. that that it, it's a unique experience going to all the different grounds. Um, I suppose the best grounds in the league to go and visit in terms of of actual, you know, modern day stadia. Tala is is really a, a great venue, um, and I know they've plans to further develop it. I think that's um, a top class ground. Um, likes the Turner's Cross down in Cork as well. It's four sided. It's nice and neat. A little small stadium, good atmosphere as well. So um, you've got the showgrounds in Sligo that kind of the fans have really they're the ones behind that because all the success Sligo have had. Uh, it, it went back into the stadium and mm. as well as that their fans are almost famous for their fundraising efforts every year they have these big mega draws and they bring in millions of euro for the club each and every year and it always goes back into the ground and that's something I admire about Sligo because you look at a club like you've been mentioning them a good bit there Dundalk they've had huge success over the last number of years twice they've reached the group stages of, of the Europa League they're the only Irish club ever to do that They've won everything there is to win domestically, albeit there's not a lot of prize money attached to that, unfortunately. But the European money was massive for them. It was a game changer. And mm -hmm. very little, if any of it, went back into the actual spectator facilities. And Oriel Park should be one of the best stadiums in the country because they've got a huge, pa passionate fan base behind them. They've got a great team on the pitch. There's everything there for the making of you know, that should be one of the flagship stadiums in the country. And unfortunately, it's not. It's it's not a great place to go and watch football at all, particularly for away fans. It's it's kind of infamous for its very poor away end. So that's kind of disappointing from a Dundalk point of view. All the success they had didn't go back into the stadiums. Because um, as I said, with Longford, very small club compared to the rest, don't have the resources, comes from a struggling financial town as well. That was mm. very badly hit by the recession is still kind of going through that has never come out the other end really but the stadium Longford Town have is an absolute credit to the club particularly when you compare it to some of the bigger clubs and the success they've had it's not really gone back into their their spectator facility so look they all have their own unique individual charms even I'm kind of been critical of, of Oriel Park there but if you go there on a big night when the shed is full it's one of the best atmospheres you'll ever come across so they've all got um, their own unique charms in their own way yeah, absolutely. And, and the one that kind of stinks out for me is, is the Brandywell, because obviously Derry City very much uh, involved there. But obviously Institute, when they were in the, obviously in the top five of the Northern Irish Football League, they part shared with Derry City. So that's why I got a little bit more of an exposure to, to following that stadium. And it's a nice little ground as well, the, the Brandywell, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's only been redeveloped in the last couple of years. Again, it's probably one of the grounds before it was done up that you would have maybe said oh it's, it's a bit behind the times or whatever but again it's another place where very passionate very similar to the dog passionate fan base um great atmosphere on a big night there there's been some great european nights but um the new stadium is fantastic there there's a lovely main stand um 
there's a new 4G pitch that went in. I wouldn't be a fan of the 4G pitches. I know that's very topical in Scottish football as well. Uh, the sure is the same at Oriel there. <laughs> Their AstroTurf is absolutely horrendous, to be, to be honest with you. So uh, that's probably one thing I would like to see them change at the Brandywell maybe in the coming years if they can do well in Europe and pick up a few pounds, uh, maybe install a nice grass pitch for them there. But uh, aside from that, it's a lovely little venue and the people at Derry are famous for their, for their um, hospitality and their welcoming. So you, you really get a great experience when you go up there. Yeah, no, absolutely. Let's talk about the, the League of Ireland so far this season, because as we're recording this on the 27th of June, uh, we are effectively at the halfway point in the season. And it, it's really interesting here in the league table because the top three, all of the same points, all of the same goal difference, and there really isn't anything to choose apart from goals scored. St. Patrick's Athletic lead the league, Shamrock are second and, and Sligo are third. I mean, what, what do you make of that top three? Ah, well, it's fantastic. It's it's absolutely brilliant because, to be totally honest, most people, and myself included, and the two lads I did the podcast with, we all agreed nobody would lay a glove on Shamrock Rovers this year. Um, so for your listeners that aren't maybe following the league closely, last year, due to the COVID pandemic, the league had to be reduced to 18 games, which was quite controversial because um, I think we'd already played maybe five, six, seven games at this point mm. um, when the league came to a halt for COVID. So... There wasn't a lot of time for teams to pick up results to either get themselves out of relegation or or to fight for the title. So uh, Shamrock Rovers actually went the entire 18 games unbeaten. Some people would say it's not a real league because it was such a shortened season, but there's no doubt about it. They were going to win that league last season. They were the best team, the most consistent team. Um, they had Jack Byrne in midfield, who's now gone, gone to, to play in, in Cyprus. Unfortunately, he's had injuries out there, but he was absolutely magnificent in his time in the league and got an Irish cap off that as well. Um, and they had Aaron McAniff, who's now playing with Hearts as well. I had him on the show recently. Uh, he was phenomenal for them in midfield. So those two were a big part of the success last year. But um, yeah, they won the league very comfortably last year and everyone expected them to do the same this year, despite the fact they lost Byrne and McAniff. And I think people probably maybe underestimated the not so much Jack Byrne because everyone knew about Jack Byrne's qualities and, and what a good player he was but McAniff in particular I thought he was one of the best midfielders in the league and I think with Byrne leaving his departure was kind of it went off off, off or under the radar a little bit mm-hmm. they've really really struggled Shamrock Rovers without those two because when you go to Tal or when, or when Rovers come down to your place most teams sit in 10 behind the ball we'll try and frustrate maybe we get something on the break but if we get out here with a point we're delighted and that's been a problem for them this year because they haven't had the individual genius of Jack Byrne. They haven't had those deep runs from midfield of McAniff. So mm. they've lacked that little bit of, um, I suppose, cleverness on how to unlock a team. And they've struggled in a lot of games. They've picked up a lot of draws recently, even earlier on the season when they were winning games, an awful lot of late goals, even against Longford, newly promoted side. Twice this season, they've scored 95th minute winners against Longford. They did similar against the other newly promoted side, Drotada, who they drew with again the other night. So, They've, they've struggled. They really have Rovers, but um, they're still up there. And they've got um, Richie Towell coming in now on the 1st of July. He's been in yeah. England with the likes of Brighton. He's coming over from Salford City. Yes. He is legendary from his time at Dundalk. He is one of the best players I have ever seen in this league. He scored 20-something goals for midfield for Dundalk in the 2015 season before heading off to England. So he's coming back. He's a bit older now. He's had injuries. But if he is anything like the player he was, I think that'll be enough to fire Rovers to the title. Sligo have been a real um, surprise packet because 
they they got into Europe last year, uh, which was great for them the first time in many years. But at the start of last season, everyone was talking about them as relegation candidates because they lost their first four games of the season or something along those lines. And they were down uh, in the bottom two. And people were wondering, my God, are Sligo going to be relegated this year? Uh, they had a great turn of uh, form then after the, the lockdown was ended after, after we came back and they, they got themselves into Europe, which was great. They made a couple of signings in the off-season. Greg Bulger be the key one. He was with Shamrock Rovers last year when they won the league. He's been all around the league. He's won titles with Pats, Cork and Rovers. So very experienced, kind of a, a real battle-hardened midfielder. And he's really added to them there. Um, and they've got a couple of little flair players there. Uh, Figueroa, Figueroa, who was with Derry, came in. And they've got a guy called Jordan Gibson, who was over in England. Um, I can't recall what club he was with. It could have been West Ham, but I could be wrong on that. But... He was with Pats last season and for whatever reason, it just didn't happen for him at Pats, but mm-hmm. he's just come to life at, at Sligo. So with those two kind of creative players linking up and uh, they've got a young local lad called Johnny Kenny who scored a hat-trick the other night. He's That's been a great. revelation for, for them as well. They've got um, a Jamaican international up front called uh, Romeo Parks as well. So they've got loads of kind of attack and threat and then they've got Greg Bulger just sitting there keeping everything tidy at the back. So they've got loads going for them and they've been a real surprise packet, I suppose. St. Pat's are a different story because over the last number of years, even before Stephen O'Donnell came in at St. Pat's, they were getting kind of strong investment in off-seasons and and there was some really nice footballers coming in and you were thinking, right, this is the year Pat's are going to crack it. They'll be in Europe and they'll be in the title mix. And every season they disappointed. For whatever reason, it didn't happen. Mm. This year, totally different story. They've had a great start to the league. The first nine games, I think they went unbeaten and they only conceded three or four goals. They had a little bit of a rocky spell, but they've come back from that now and they're absolutely firing all around them. So some title race ahead. Uh, I still think Shamrock Rovers will have too much for the rest, but um, hopefully it goes down to the wire because that's that's really what we need as a league. Um, a big, long, extended title race is always a great way to get new people involved. Absolutely. It's very exciting from a neutral point of view. I was having a look at the table before we came on the podcast. I thought it was really, really exciting. What's also really exciting is the sort of grouping behind the top three because from Bohemians and fourth, to Finhaps and eighth, it's just seven points. Very, very close. Yeah, so the way the league is structured, obviously the first team are the champions and they qualify for the Champions League. Second and third now go into the new Europa Conference League. Previously, they would have gone into the Europa League qualifiers, but unfortunately, due to the league's poor coefficient in Europe, that's where we are now. Maybe that's something we can touch on later. Um, And then the fourth spot is, that is enough to get you into the Europa Conference League if... Um, one of the other top three teams in the league win the FAI Cup. And for mm-hmm. the last six or seven years, that has always happened. So it's almost a given that one of the top three teams in the league will win the FAI Cup. And that mm-hmm. means the fourth place team will qualify for Europe. Now, I've been warning people this year that that could be different, that a lot of people have been saying, kind of Boas fans, the dog fans, uh, other fans have been saying, oh, if we can just sneak into that fourth, we'll be fine. That'll be enough for Europe. With the year that's in it, with kind of fans only coming back into stadiums now, um, and everything that's gone on you just wouldn't know really like there could be an upset in the FAI Cup this year probably one of the old reliables will win it but you, you just wouldn't know where there would be an upset so you can't go putting all your eggs in, into that basket of yeah fourth will be enough but at the same time historically in, in recent years that's the case it has been enough so there's going to be a great battle on for that fourth spot because Bose Bose would have been the one everyone would have looked towards at the start of the season to challenge Shamrock Rovers for the title it didn't happen for whatever reason. They lost a couple of really good players. Danny Grant went away to Huddersfield. Danny Mandreu went across the Shamrock Rovers. 
couple of experienced players left, but they signed well and they just they kind of were unlucky with some of the signings they brought in. They got injured. I mean, Bastian Heary, if you do follow the, the Northern yes. Irish League, he was, with, uh, he was with Linfield. He was previously in the league with Waterford. Fantastic technical midfield player. He's barely kicked the ball for them and he was their big, big signing, their big marquee signing just because of injuries. So um, they had a slow start, Bose, but... I think Liam Buck plays for them as well. He was on the Bookshit Rangers, isn't he? Once yeah, up. he was with Rangers and Celtic, um, Liam Burr. And he was one of the signers that hit the ground straight away. He's been a revelation in midfield for them. He's been very good. So um, he's definitely one to keep an eye on, maybe a move back across to Scotland or to the UK. But um, aside from that, as I said, they were just unlucky with a lot of their signings. Didn't work out. They brought a striker in called Georgie Kelly that was with them, Doc, with St. Pat's. Wasn't happening for him. He was working really hard. His link-up play is very good. His hold-up play is very good, but just wasn't putting the ball in the net. But in the last few weeks, he can't stop scoring. He got four goals in a game recently. He got a hat-trick recently as well. Uh, he's the top goal scorer in the league now. So everything's just come together all of a sudden for Bose, and they're starting to move up that table at long last. So they're in European contention now. Dundalk, despite their absolutely disastrous start of the season, all of a sudden, they're only three points behind Bose, um, if, if I recall the table correctly. Um and Drotada have probably been one of the stories of the season. Yes. Promoted, promoted as champions from the first division last year. They've been in the mix for Europe the whole way. Now, in the last couple of weeks, they've, they've lost a little bit, bit of form, but they got a point against the champions the other night, Shamrock Rovers. Um, mm. So the job that Tim Clancy has done there, um, Drotada will be a part-time team like Longford. Uh, Finn Harps are another part-time team. The rest then are all full-time. So those two, three teams that I named are all at a major disadvantage because they're not training as much. They don't get the recovery. Mm. The way the league is structured here, we can play a lot of games in short space of time. Sometimes you get three games in a week. You can have a Monday, Friday, Friday schedule. So that's okay for the full-time teams that have big squads and they're able to rest and recuperate. The likes of the Longford players, Waterford Harps, or sorry, not Waterford Harps and uh, Drotada, those lads have to go to work maybe. They could be getting back from Derry or Donegal at three o'clock in the morning and getting yeah. up for a six o'clock shift, off and work the full day and then go to training in the evening. So that's a big toll on the body. So... Absolutely. The part-time teams are at a disadvantage in this league, but look, that's the way it is. They're part-time. They have to get on with us. So um, so what Drottada are doing this season is an absolutely incredible story. I think most neutrals would love to see Drottada get that fourth spot, but with the way Boas are picking up form now, with the Docks starting to finally find a bit of form, it's going to be a big ask for them, but they're not going to be in any relegation danger at all, Drottada, and that would have been their first um, objective of the year is to stay in the Premier first season back up in a couple of years. So absolutely. they'll be absolutely delighted with how things are going there. Derry City have had a bit of a difficult season as well, haven't they, Kieran? Because obviously Declan Devine left, Rudy Higgins has come in. What have you made of Derry this season? Well, um, I can kind of sense it from speaking to you there that you're a big fan of Declan Devine, and I'd be exactly the same. I have huge time for Declan. Um, always very good with his time to, to ourselves on the podcast. Happy to come on and have a chat. And even when you'd meet him after a game, even if the result hadn't gone his way, very happy character, lo lovely man, couldn't speak highly enough of him. And on top of all of that, a good football coach as well. But mm -hmm. I kind of sensed, I kind of sensed this season from the business they'd done, the players they lost, players that came in, it was going to be a struggle for them. And I wasn't surprised with where they were. Unfortunately, Declan paid the ultimate price of that. He lost his job. But I was hugely impressed when they went out and got Rory Higgins because Rory Higgins at the time was Stephen Kenny's assistant with the Republic of Ireland national right. team. Mm -hmm. So to be able to go and convince him to leave a job of that stature, to come down to Derry. Now, Derry obviously is his local club. He's got a great connection having played there. But still, I mean, that's a huge opportunity. He's left behind him there working with the national team. But he's come home to Derry. He was given a long-term contract. So that was obviously a show of faith in him. This is his first management job. 
he was on Stephen Kenny's coaching staff at Dundalk um, initially as opposition analysis. So doing video, going and watching opposition, scouting, that type of stuff. Uh, and then Stephen brought him in then um, with, with Ireland. But he was a man that had a huge reputation in Irish football because he was a good player. But you could see, uh, I'd be a big fan of Rory as well. I would have had a lot of dealings with him in his time in Dundalk. Um, he just comes across, across as someone that's very intelligent about the game. So when I seen him being appointed as Derry boss, I said, yeah, that's a fantastic appointment. He's going to bring them up that table this season. And long term, I think he'll have great success with Derry. And we're already seeing that. He's turned the form around, um, particularly on the road. They've, they've been very, very solid on the, on the road under him. And I look at their squad now and I still think it's a fairly weak squad on paper. So what he's done there says a lot about him as a coach. He's been able to bring those players up a couple of levels. Yes. If he gets some money now in July to spend and can get the players he wants in, I think you're going to see a very different Derry City in the second half of the season. Absolutely. The, the, the team's down near the foot of the table. Obviously, your own team, Longford, are, are currently bottom as we're recording this. But but Waterford, just four points above you. Finn Harps, a little bit further ahead of those two teams. I mean, what have you made of your team and also the other two I just mentioned? Well, I described it as the story of the season earlier on there. Um, prior to, I suppose, or early on in the season, first four or five weeks, Finn Harps were the story of the season. Because Harps... I was surprised they Yeah, were... they had a... They had a fantastic start to the season, but traditionally Harps are always down the bottom and they always just do enough. Um, they're a real... They're again, a bit they're like Hamilton Ackes then in Scottish football because they always have a good start and then they're kind of in a relegation fight at the end of the season. Yeah, they're... The season, they went down. They went down. They're, <laughs> they're a real plucky team, Harps. I mean, nobody likes to play them, particularly at home um, because, as I said, you go up to Finn Park and it's a tight little old-fashioned venue and the locals get on your back and sometimes the pitch isn't in great condition either and if it's a wet night up there, it can just be an absolute nightmare and they're a big battle-hardened side. I mean, they have no problem kicking the legs of you to get a result, so... Um, they're not they're not a nice team to play against, but they're actually playing a bit of football this year. Um, and at the start of the year, they had a really good start to the season. Now, in the last few weeks, they've lost a little bit of steam. And I suppose my co-host, John, kind of predicted that earlier on in the year, simply because they are a part-time team. They're putting a lot of energy into games, high-pressing kind of nature of their football. Their manager, Ollie Horgan, is really demanding. He wants you to run through brick walls or you're not going to be in the team. So mm. it was probably expected that they would lose a little bit of momentum and that has happened. Um, but I don't think they'll be in any kind of relegation danger, which is fantastic because it'll be the first time in a good few years where they're going to go into the final round of games and I, I'll expect that they won't be looking over their shoulder for once. Whereas last season, um, going into the final game against Waterford, they needed a result to stay up. And in the literally the last kick of the game, Waterford missed a goal from no more than three or four yards out. I don't know how the ball didn't go into the net it was put wide of the goal. If that went in, Harps would have been in a relegation playoff and Waterford would have gone into Europe. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing the way these things turn. But they had a great start to the season, Harps. Uh, the other two you mentioned, Waterford, have been a bit of a basket case off the pitch for a couple of years now. They've recently had a change of ownership, but prior to that, um, Lee Power was their owner, who your listeners might know from Swindon. Yes. Um, and what was happening with Waterford, he came in initially, a lot of investment, they got promoted. That was great. And then they qualified for Europe. But Waterford, when Lee Power came in, changed their name from Waterford United to Waterford FC. So there was a yes. legal kind of issue there then that uh, in UEFA's eyes, that was a new club to them. Right. And in UEFA's rules, a club has to be in existence three years before they are allowed to play in Europe. Ah. Waterford came short of that and they did not get the European place. It was given to St. Pat's, which was Ooh. very controversial at the time. Ooh, it left yeah. a lot of... 
<laughs> it left a lot of bad blood between the two clubs. Um, but look, that was the rule. That was the ruling that was made. I think it's fair to say Lee Power lost a little bit of interest after that because he expected them to be in Europe, the money that would have come with it then. Hmm. And there was kind of a bit of a downgrade. And then players like Bastian, here he left the club. A lot of other very good players. Last season, they had um, a Matty Smith, who's now with Pats. They had Ali Coote, that's now with Bowes. They were really good players as well. They were allowed to leave. And... Um, Last year, they left it very late in the day, a couple of weeks before the season until they made their signings. And it was kind of a bit of a mix and match job. And they, they, to be fair to them, they did very well to almost get into Europe. But again, they missed out on Europe. Lee Power, I think, again, was a bit disappointed by that. So this year, again, they left it very, very late in the day to put a squad together. A lot of lone players from Britain, a lot of young players from the first division. And they had a really difficult start. They brought in Kevin Sheedy. It's his first management job at the age of 60. He's in his 60s. It was a disaster, an absolute disaster. Mike Newell was his assistant. He spent more times in the stand getting sent off in games than he did on the sideline. <laughs> then there was a reporter training ground bust up. We won't get into that, but uh, their their goalkeeper Brian Murphy, who spent a lot of time in Britain with uh, clubs like Swansea, uh, sorry Cardiff. Uh, he was with QPR as well. I think he was with Ipswich. Vastly experienced goalkeeper, one of the best goalkeepers in the league. He was all of a sudden put to one side by by Kevin Sheedy. He had no he had no involvement with the first team at all. He was sitting at home and people couldn't make sense of that. But as I said, the two lads were shown the door, Sheedy and Newell, and uh, in came Mark Bircham recently. Uh, this is his first management job as well. He was on the coaching staff at QPR, where he's I suppose, best known as a player. Uh, and he's brought a real sense of enthusiasm. He's a really kind of infectious character. And in recent weeks, he's put a real organisation on the team. They're really well organised. Uh, Murphy's came back in in goals. He's been fantastic for them. He brings a sense of experience to what is still a very inexperienced team. And all of a sudden, they've started picking up results. They played a game last Monday, a relegation six-pointer down in Longford against Longford, and they beat Longford Town. Uh, so there's now a four-point gap between Waterford and Longford. Longford down at the bottom, um, coming up from the first division, Longford finished fourth in the first division last year. They lost their last three games of the regular season and they fell over the line into the playoffs. Nobody mm -hmm. gave them a prayer of getting promoted, including myself. They beat UCD in the last minute in one of the best playoff games you'll ever see. Uh, Longford scored a 90th minute equaliser to bring it to extra time. And then in added time, they scored uh, with the last kick of the game to win the game 3-2 to avoid going to penalties, having been behind in extra time as well. Wow. Uh, so what that was... They played Galway then. Galway had gone through a change in management. John Caulfield came in. Caulfield, uh, famous for winning the league with, with Cork City. And Galway went on a great run at the end of the year after a poor start. Got themselves into the playoffs. And everyone thought Galway, with the momentum behind them, might go on and win the playoffs. But Longford put in their finest performance of the year. They beat Galway. They got into the relegation playoff decider then against Shelburne. who The wheels had totally just came off shells at the end of last year. Uh, they were promoted with a huge budget behind them. They had been up in the European mix at the start of the year and everyone thought, yeah, they might actually get Europe. And then all of a sudden, I think there was probably a lot of unrest in the dressing room and other things that went on. They just totally fell off the uh, fell off the cliff front altogether and Longford beat them that day up in up in Richmond Park, the home pats. And uh, they got promoted. So that was a, a real fairy tale story because uh, Longford wouldn't have a big budget, as I said. Um, a very young team. And even last year, Longford had this crazy situation where they were managed by a man called Neil Fenn. Uh, he had a career in England with, um, well, he was on the books as a youngster with Spurs. Uh, so some of your listeners might remember him, but he was building a really good career and reputation for himself at Longford. He came in and he was playing this free flow and attacking football. And then Cork City came calling and he left Longford Town overnight uh, in very kind of acrimonious circumstances. That was a very unpopular decision. 
Uh, it didn't work out for him because Cork was a disaster. They got relegated. He lost his job. He hasn't had work since. But Dara Doyle was his assistant. Dara mm-hmm. stepped up to the plate, came in as manager and got Longford Town promoted. And it was the first time Longford had ever been promoted through the playoffs as well in their history. So um, what Dara Doyle has done is a real story in itself. They've gone up. Um, I think there was players probably they would have liked to have signed signed that probably went to the likes of Drotada because Drotada obviously had an extra three or four weeks to sign these players because they went up as champions where Longford were still playing in the playoffs so mm-hmm. Longford missed out on some experienced players and had to look towards younger players so it was always going to be a struggle for them but they started the season really well picked up some great results won their opening game against Derry drew with Bohemians up in Daly Mill Park after being two down but after that it's been a bit of a struggle but they've been really competitive in every game as I said mm-hmm. they played the Champions Rovers twice this year and twice they lost out through 95th minute goals they went up to Derry. They were winning until the last kick of the game. Derry got an equaliser. They've shipped a lot of really late goals Great this season, goal. Longford. So they're four points adrift at the bottom, but they probably shouldn't be. There's a lot of points left behind them in the opening series of games, but it is going to be a struggle for them. They won't have a big uh, budget behind them in July now to ring players either. So they will be the odds on favours to be relegated. But if they could just remain competitive, I mean, they are doing themselves proud. No one wants to go straight back down. I know yep. Longford fans, they absolutely love being involved in the Premier. It really is chalk and cheese the first division as I said it doesn't get a lot of coverage at times you almost feel like you're forgotten about so to yep. be in the Premier playing the best teams watching the best players every week it's fantastic I really hope Longford can stay up but it's going to be a struggle I suppose a, a bit of a kind of enthusiasm and inspiration to take a look at Longford is to look at what Wickham uh, did last season in the Championship yes they went down but they took it to the last game of the season and everybody thought they would be well adrift at the bottom of the championship and you know they actually won on the final day but obviously the, the goal difference cost them and I mentioned earlier on about Hamilton and teams like Aloe Athletic even in the Irish League teams like Warren Point Town and, and Carrick Rangers etc these teams everyone writes them off every season but you write these teams off at your peril because if they get a result they get a bit of confidence and, and suddenly they can be a dangerous team to put away yeah, and interesting you mentioned Wickham as well. Of course, Darren Horgan playing there these days. Um, fantastic player in this league with, with Dundalk, now an Irish international, and he's shown what he can do at Wickham. And uh, no disrespect to Wickham, but I hope he gets a bigger move because he really does look a special player. And yeah. I think he can show his talents at a much higher level. He was with Preston. It didn't work out there for whatever reason. As well? Yeah, he was. I actually uh, was at Easter Road one night for... Um, a League Cup game against Aberdeen and I was hoping to get to see the two former League of Ireland men in action. Forrester was playing for um, for Aberdeen and Darren Horgan played for, for Hibs and both of them were on the bench and neither of them came on. So yeah. I left very disappointed that night. But uh, Was this the game yeah, that looked, won on penalties? <laughs> yeah, it was. I was at that one. Yeah, I was just over in Edinburgh. I, I watched that. That was a nightmare. Let's not talk about that because I'm an Aberdeen fan and it wasn't particularly great viewed from my point of view. But uh, we won and that. suppose that's the main thing. I guess one of my other questions I'd like to ask you, Kieran, is obviously people listening to this show really keen to learn a little more about the Irish League. But let's just have a look at some of the stats here on the, the airtrustyleague.ie website. At the moment, as we're calling this, 227 goals, an average of 2.52 goals a game. Surely that's a great advert for your league. Should be, that should be sold, surely. 100%. Like I said earlier, we don't do enough in this league to, to sell it. Um, even a couple of years ago, there was this crazy situation where uh, the national broadcaster had a highlights program called um, Monday Night Soccer MNS. It was originally originally it was called Soccer Republic later on. Um, the highlights would be on Monday night at seven thirty, but if a goal went in on a Friday night, you would not see that goal until Monday at half seven. It was not allowed to be shared by the club online. You couldn't get it anywhere. So unless mm-hmm. you were there, that was the only way you seen the goal. 
and then you had to wait until Monday night to see it. That was, you could just about stomach that because it was getting a main primetime slot on, on Irish telly at 7.30 on a Monday night. Then the show was moved to half 10 or 11 o'clock at night on a Monday. So you were waiting until then to see the goals. Most people that were working didn't bother to stay up. They had to record it. I might see it for days after. And then by that stage, she were thinking about your next game. I won't even bother watching the highlights at that point. So um, last year, the year before, there was a rule change made where the clubs, it was agreed, could share the goals online, could put up highlights of their own games, etc. That was great because you could have an absolute worldly score from the halfway line on a Friday night. If that goes up there and then as it happens online, that goes viral and all of a sudden people are talking about the League of Ireland. That doesn't happen if you have to wait three or four days. It loses its yeah. sting because something else has happened in the meantime. So that's something we have got better at as a league. The goals are going up quicker online. I think you have to look at, if you look at the Bundesliga, they've really grown over the last couple of years because of their social media. Um, goals going in, highlights going up instantly. You could, you could really follow a Bundesliga. You could really follow a Bundesliga game without watching it. You could go on Twitter and follow the whole night's action on your phone and you'd Absolutely. have a very good idea what's happening. The League of Ireland, we're, we're probably getting better at that. We, we need to do more in that sense. We really do need to up our game. The clubs have done great work. I think it's on the league now to do a little bit more because we can't rely on the national broadcaster, unfortunately. They just don't do enough to promote the game in this country. Um, they are more GA, more rugby-orientated. Mm-hmm. The, there should be a live game every Friday night. It doesn't happen. That's the Is way it, it is. Is there a bit of frustration then by looking at your counterparts in the Northern Irish League that have games on a Friday night on the BBC and have a, a highlights package and maybe even a Saturday evening game as well? Yeah, so just, just to point out, I was mentioning there the highlights package uh, on television. There is none now. It's gone. Uh, they decided the figures weren't there, but sure, where would there be figures at half 11 on a Monday night? You know, that's that's the frustrating thing. And the same thing with the Watch LOI last year. We were told, oh, the sign-ups were disappointing. Of course, they're going to be disappointing when the product itself is, is, is not good. I mean, there was no highlights. The commentary was poor. A lot of technical issues with some of the streams. You, you can't really come out and say the, the product's not there. The, the product is there on the pitch. You've said it yourself. The amount of goals goes in, the great players we have, the stories. That's something we don't do enough in this league. The stories that need to be told. There was a fantastic documentary recently on, on BBC Northern Ireland about Derry City. Exactly. And um, their, their, their struggles. They were playing in the Northern Irish League. The, the political and, and kind of sectarian issues up there that they faced. Um, they were out of football for over a decade and then they joined the League of Ireland and they had this huge following. They were going down to places like Cork and bringing ten or 12,000 down on the train. And it was some people's first time they ever left Derry in their lives. Brilliant story. I'd highly recommend anyone to watch it. But that, that got people talking for weeks over here about Derry City. Yes. There, there's other stories at other clubs. I mean, there's a, there was a guy for the dog called Jimmy Hasty. He was a one-armed footballer. And he was one of the greatest strikers ever in the history of the Dog Football Club. Um, that's another amazing story that's not told enough the stories at each and every club that can be told and they should be told we probably don't do that enough um, so that's something that needs to improve the, the the online and the television coverage certainly something that needs to improve even on radio you don't hear enough about League of Ireland there's no kind of goal show or phone-in show things like that now again online has been fantastic like with outlets like my own and there's loads of other ones out there as well the online side of things really has improved. There's a lot of young blood in the league trying to, to push it on, but we yes. need to make that more mainstream at the same time. So there's a lot more that can be done. Absolutely. And I think the same goes for, for Scottish football as well. You know, I think that's something that really needs to be marketed a lot better. And all leagues across the, the world need to could strive to keep pushing up that ladder because it's very important. Last thing on the top flight before we move on to Europe, in particular with the Irish clubs, let's just have a look at the goal scoring charts. 
We mentioned Jonesy Kelly there earlier in the show, top scorer with 11 goals so far. There's a couple of guys that stand out for me on this uh, top 10, especially here. Adam Foley, who was in the, the Northern Irish League for a period of time. Rory Gaffney, who was at Salford City, played up front with Adam Rooney. Uh, good to see him knocking in some goals for Shamrock Rovers. But Will Patching, uh, dare he say, is one that catches my eye because he scored half a dozen goals as well. And a few of them have been penalties, I think. Yeah, and some some free kicks as well. Patching's an interesting one because uh, Patching, um, as a youngster, was with Manchester City. Um, he played with another club in England as well for a small spell, but he came over to Dundalk. Um, didn't work out for him. Looked like a very good technical footballer, but I thought he looked a little bit light. And I was listening to an interview with Vinnie Perth, the, the dark manager, the other day. And he said that he felt as well when, when Will came over that maybe he was a little bit light um, physically. It's it's a rough and tumble league. You do need to be you need to be at it when you come over. And I think a lot of players that come over from the UK, they think, ah, yeah, League of Ireland, this is going to be a stroll. They soon find out it's not. Um, so physically and maybe um, psychologically, was he prepared for it? Maybe not. He's gone out on loan to Derry and he's really come into his own. And I've seen him on a, a couple of occasions this season. He looks like he's bulked up, he's beefed up, he's pushing fellas off the ball. Um, and he's creating chances in a Derry team, which I said on paper wouldn't be that strong. So that says a lot about him. So his loan deal is now over or is coming to an end on the 1st of July and he's going to go back to Dundalk. Um, I have mixed feelings about that because he was at Dundalk. It didn't work out. He's gone to Derry and he's found a, a new lease of life. Um, look, he, he can only do what he's told. He's under contract. He has to go back to Dundalk. But yeah. that's a Dundalk team that has chopped and changed in midfield a lot. Um, Dundalk brought in a huge amount of overseas players in the offseason. And almost to each and every one of them, they've been a disaster. Huge wages, huge signing on fees reportedly. And they haven't delivered. And that's why Dundalk have struggled. Um, so the the Dunk have lost Chris Shields as well, hasn't he? Because he's just saying for the thing. Yeah, uh, Chris Shields, legendary player at Dundalk, won all there is to one uh, to win, excuse me, and has played in two European group stages. By far and away the best midfield player in this league for the last probably decade. Um, defensive midfielder now, like people will look at the likes of a Jack Byrne and they'll say, oh, he's a better footballer than Chris Shields. Of course he is. But in terms of that whole midfield role, nobody does it better than Chris Shields. So, um, big surprise to see him leave, but not a surprise either because, um, look, we could do an entire podcast on, on the goings on at the dock this season. Off the pitch, that club is in absolute turmoil. They are a mess. Very mm -hmm. sad to see. Um, and I think we'll probably see more players leave in the next while as well because they're all on short-term contracts there uh, due to the decisions of the, the American-based ownership. Um, but Patching's going to go back in there. And is he just going to be in the mix then to, to have a position in that team? Or are they going to say, right, Will, you're in there, number 10, you do your thing. But the problem is, that's where Patrick McElhenney plays, one of their other star players, who now has also been linked with a move to, uh, to Glentorn and a few other clubs. So where are they going to accommodate patching into that team? That's a concern for me. If he goes back and he's in and out of the team, does he lose that little bit of confidence again? Who knows? I, if I was Will Patching, I'd be doing everything in my power to stay at Derry. But I suppose the, uh, the, the pull of maybe going back to Dundalk and potentially playing in Europe might be playing on his mind slightly. And as I said, at the end of the day, he doesn't have a, a say in the matter. He's under contract. Your club has asked you back. You just have to go back and try and do your best. Speaking of Europe, obviously the draws have been made for the for the Champions League and Europa Conference League qualifiers. Uh, Shamrock Rovers obviously winning uh, the League of Ireland last season. They've been drawn against Sloven Bratislava in the opening round. How tough a game is that for Shamrock? Because obviously we remember them from playing Milan last season, of course, which was fantastic. Well, I, I've I've seen them at close quarters, Slovan Bratislava, because they played Dundalk a couple of years ago, 2019. They played them in Europe, and uh, 
yeah, they're, they're, they're a very good side. Um, that was a game, though, against the Dock. I mean, that was a great Dock team at the time. Uh, they almost won the treble that year on, under, under Vinnie Parth. But um, the Dock defensively just made a couple of mistakes at the wrong time and they were punished. And look, that's what happens in Europe against an elite team like that. If you make a mistake, you will be punished. But the Dock felt that they probably left that game behind them, that they, they potentially could have got past Slava and Bratislava. But they went on then to qualify for the group stages. I think I'm right in saying they played Wolves as well in the, in the group stages that year and gave them a really good game. So, mm. I mean, the level of investment of those clubs is, is huge compared to... I, I'm talking about the Dock having a four million budget this year. Slovan Bratislava's budget could be 10 times that probably. Yeah. So uh, it really is that that's one of the toughest draws Rovers could have got. So I think they'll give it a good go, but I wouldn't be overly hopeful of them getting through, particularly with the form they're showing in the league at the moment. But if you look at the, the draws in the Europa League conference, I think the Irish clubs have a really good chance of progression. Yeah, Sligo Rovers are away to uh, Hafnavjordur from uh, Iceland. Sorry for my uh, poor pronunciation <laughs> to all of our Icelandic followers. Uh, Bohemians also playing Icelandic opposition in Stjarn and away. Celtic fans will uh, remember that in particular. And Dundalk a home to Newton of Wales, which should be uh, very exciting. Do you think all three Irish clubs have a good chance there? Very good chances. Um, Starnham played a League of Ireland side in Europe a couple of years ago. Could have been Cork, if I'm not wrong. And I think, I think the Irish. Pretty sure I remember. Yeah. It. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and Cork City, as far as I remember, got through that round. So uh, you, you take you take heart from that. Um, the uh, and then Bo's going up against the Icelandic side as well. So um, Bo's ran um, a team from Hungary very very close last year. Went out on penalties. Were very very unlucky. Uh, the game was played in Hungary and absolutely baking conditions as well so um, I think they'll, they'll probably learn from their experience in Europe last year and hopefully as we mentioned some of the players that have come in this year like Liam Burt and, and Georgie Kelly might help them just find that extra little percentage this year and if Bose can get through a round in Europe that would be great for them Dundalk yeah. in any other year if you looked at that draw against a team from Wales you'd say Dundalk would be beating them no problem but with everything that's happened at Dundalk this year, with everything that's going on off the pitch, you just wouldn't be sure. And that's really disappointing because Dundalk are actually going to be seeded for the first couple of rounds in the Europa League Conference. So they could go very deep. I think Dundalk have a great chance of going right into the, the final qualifying round there where they could meet someone like the Spurs or one of the big sides, which, which would uh, unfortunately probably bring about an end to their European dream of, of another group stage qualification. But uh, if they can get through three or four rounds and pick up a few pounds, that's great. But... You just wouldn't be certain of it, unfortunately, with with um, the the unrest at the club this year. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of the Republic of Ireland in the club scene in Europe, where do you see them at the moment? Because obviously this conference league's come in. You know, you've lost that Europa League battle uh, because of the, the the coefficient situation. Where do you see the League of Ireland in that situation? Is it in another flux again? Do you think? Yeah, it, it's disappointing. I, I shared an image recently on, on the Between the Stripes Twitter feed um, and it was of uh, the updated UEFA coefficients. It wasn't the official one, but this is what has been predicted when the next kind of a cycle of, of, of results or whatever is put through, that this is where the leagues will stand. The League of Ireland has slipped so far down. I mean, there's leagues ahead of the League of Ireland that should never be ahead of our league. Um, even the Northern Irish League has, has climbed, I think I'm right in saying, above the, the League of Ireland. Now, there's a slight factor there that the Northern Irish League fell so far down the UEFA coefficients themselves that mm -hmm. their clubs went into preliminary rounds and were taking right. on teams from Gibraltar, San Marino, Andorra. So they were picking up wins there and as a result, their coefficient was improving. But that's not a positive. You don't want to be playing them teams in Europe. You want to be starting out higher up. Okay. So, for the, for, so for the League of Ireland to have fallen so far down that they've now lost their Europa League places um, and they're in a position where there's leagues ahead of them that shouldn't be ahead of them. 
it's very, very disheartening and disappointing, particularly when we've had a, um, a, a decade of Shamrock Rovers getting into the group stages and Dundalk getting into the group stages twice. You would have thought that that would have brought about an improvement in our coefficient, but it hasn't. The, the blame can only be blamed at the authorities' feet here. The FAI, they do not invest enough in the League of Ireland. Uh, mm. They don't promote the league enough. They don't give it enough financial support. Um, we've, we've touched on the, the broadcasting as well. that mm. It doesn't get enough coverage. When a game is covered, clubs are not financially compensated. Mm. There's, no, there's no TV rights in this country. So that's an issue in itself because not only are you not getting paid to be on the television, mm. if four or 500 people decide, oh, the game's on telly, I'm not going to go out, I'm going to sit at home and watch it. You're not getting that money and you're not getting compensated for that. Yeah. The, the League of Ireland champion gets €110,000. Wow. And I mean, John we- Delaney, I'm sure you've all heard about his uh, role in Irish football over the last many decades. He was the CEO of the, the FAI and he was on four times that. The champions of the league getting 110,000. It's an absolute pittance. The cup competitions are the same. It's a pittance. So you're asking them teams then to win the league and go represent you in Europe off that budget. It is not possible unless you have a, a massive benefactor behind you. So that's why the League of Ireland has struggled. Yeah, absolutely. And you look at, again, going back to Northern Ireland, you look at what Niffle are doing and what Danska Bank have done. And that league just seems to be gaining exposure all the time. It's a real shame where the, the League of Ireland is at. And that, that kind of brings me on to my next question. It was a question asked by uh, a good friend of mine and, and big follower of the show, Callum McFadden. Where do you guys stand on the potential of an All-Ireland League in the future? Yeah, I, I attended a couple of press conferences. Um, Kieran Lucid is the name of the guy that was kind of floating this All-Ireland uh, proposal. He brought in um, a kind of a, con- a consultancy agency over from Holland to do very extensive research and study on it all. And uh, I was at a couple of the presentations and it was all very impressive. Um, but unfortunately, there was... Um, it just hasn't happened for whatever reason. Is it um, down to logistics and finance? Well, he was going to bring the finance. Uh, this was the thing. He he reckoned he could pull in a, a major television deal. He could pull in major sponsorship. It was really impressive, this idea. And um, we had a, we had an All-Ireland competition in this country for a number of years called the yep. Satanta Cup. Satanta Cup, yeah. And the prize money in that on offer was fantastic when it started out. Compared to what you were picking up for winning your league or winning a cup, the, the money was excellent. There was big crowds going to the games initially because it was there was a novelty factor to it. Uh, particularly when the Irish teams were travelling up to Northern Ireland. It was a day out, heading up to Belfast or wherever you may be. Uh, and, and it started out really strong. But what happened then, the League of Ireland teams dominated the competition. Um, and the Northern Irish teams began to lose interest. And the other the, the kind of excuse they used, to me it was an excuse because they were happy to compete, compete in it and, and pick the money up at the start, was the fact that the two seasons run at different times in the year. So mm-hmm. you were getting kind of kind of issues there where maybe some teams were playing out of season or whatever it may be. But that was kind of given as a reason. And there was a little bit of crowd trouble at some of the games, but nothing that you wouldn't see in the lower leagues in England. You know, it wasn't really a big issue. So I think that can kind of be a bit of a red herring at times, the, the kind of whole sectarian issue that people float as um, an opposition to, to an All-Ireland League. I don't think that'd be as big of an issue as people are making out. But um, yeah, the Satanta Cup was eventually scrapped. And here we are now talking about the potential for an All-Ireland League. I think it'd be huge. I mean... I'm living on the border here in Dundalk. Uh, if Dundalk were playing someone like a Newry town, uh, Newry City, there'd be a huge crowd of that. There'd be great interest. Absolutely. Um, I can remember as a, as a young child uh, when, when Linfield came down to Longford for the Santa Cup and 
the the buzz around that game at the time and, and people that had never gone out to watch Longford Town in years went out to watch the game. Um, I think the potential for an All-Ireland League is absolutely huge and I think the clubs would be mad not to examine it. The Northern Irish clubs, there was one or two that released statements against it and surprisingly one of them was Cliftonville, a club that you would have maybe expected to be behind it, but uh, they were against it. But uh, obviously the, the issue here is it all comes down at the end of the day to everything. It's a, it comes down to politics. You've got the FEI in control of football in the South and you've got the uh, the, NI, the, uh, the IFA in, in, contra- in control of football in the North. If an yep. All-Ireland League happens, people lose positions. They lose their cushy jobs. They lose their blazer. That's an issue. And that always will be an issue at all levels of Irish football. Even in, in the South here in the Republic, you've got a problem where the top two leagues, the, the Premier Division and the First Division are run by the FAI. And then you have regional leagues. So you've got the Leinster Senior League, the Munster Senior League, the Ulster Senior League. Then you've got your schoolboy leagues. And none of these leagues are interconnected. So we don't have a pyramid system here. So if I'm playing for my local team somewhere down the country, I can't aspire to win promotion through the leagues and then eventually play in the top flight of Irish football and play in Europe. That's not possible. That's a huge issue. We don't have enough clubs in this country. We've only got 20 teams in our top flight or right. in our in our two top divisions. Yeah. Below that then, you have a lot of teams in Dublin playing in the Leinster Senior Leagues and it's all very parochial. There's yeah. no way for them clubs to show an interest in joining the League of Ireland. So that's yeah. an issue. We really do need to start putting a, a system and a structure in place where you know, a team playing in their local village can aspire to climb up the leagues. But I think an All-Ireland League would, would really help us with that because obviously you have more of a, a pool of clubs then. And if you look at Northern Ireland, a much smaller place in the Republic, they have a pyramid structure. Yes. They've got two or three or four leagues yeah, down the below. Premiership Championship and the Intermediate Leagues. And, intermediate yeah. League. I mean, if Northern Ireland can do that and a much smaller place, why can the, the League of Ireland not do that? That really frustrates me. But I think the potential for an All-Ireland League is absolutely huge. And I think the clubs, the way they've been treated in the Republic by the FAI, the lack of support they've had down the years and, and all the scandals that have come out in recent times. And, and I know that there's been a lot of issues with the clubs up the, up the north with the IFA. I think their best interest is away from those organisations. And if an All-Ireland League is the answer, then so be it. A very passionate response there from me, Kieran and Callum. I hope that answers your question because I thought it was a really interesting discussion and I've heard a, a, a lot of debate on both sides and it really is a fantastic debate. Let's just hope that we don't have an Irish equivalent of what could have been the Super League, which would have been an absolute disaster. And I want to give a, a little bit of a take to the Championship because obviously you guys mentioned it on your Between the Stripes podcast and I think it would be a miss of me to forget that myself. Um, obviously, as we're recording this again, uh, Shelburne currently the, the league leaders uh, 11 points clear of UCD Treaty United and Galway United uh, in, in behind um, are you surprised Shelburne are very comfortable at the top? Uh, no well in saying that I tipped Galway to win the league this year but um, that was simply because they have a manager I mentioned him earlier John Caulfield who uh, a legendary figure at Cork City won, won leagues and cups during Dundalk's era of dominance so that tells you how well he done at Cork City but uh, he came over to Galway at the end of last season he turned their fortunes around got them into the playoffs Longford beat them in the playoffs but you would have expected them they were going full time this year as well which is a very rare thing in the first division you rarely see full time teams a lot of them are either part time or amateur so when you heard that they were going full time with a man like that in charge and the contacts he had you would have expected them to make massive signings and um, to be right up there in the mix but he made signings that to me probably aren't up to the grade um, and I know he's, he's planning on if you read the papers he's planning on some big turnarounds in July now in the window so we'll wait and see what happens there but overall their start to the season has been extremely disappointing but Shelburne they're the other 
full-time league in the division. They got relegated last year, but straight away, you knew their intention was to go right back up as champions because they went out and signed Yo-Yo Made from UCD, one of the most talented uh, attacking players in this league. They brought in other players that you would regard as Premier Division players and mm. they've blown everyone out of the water. They're going to win that league by a country mile and yeah. it'll just be about them stabilising next year when they do get up to make sure they don't find themselves in a position like they were last year where they got relegated because Shell's They've got some fresh money behind them over the last few years after decades of financial turmoil there. There was overspending. They won leagues and played in Europe. A lot of your listeners might remember they were 90 minutes away from the Champions League. That's right. Uh, they went out against Deportivo. But uh, after that, they went through 10 years or more of absolute disaster uh, in terms of finances. They barely survived. But thankfully, they've turned a corner there now and, and they've got fresh money behind them. And if they can just uh, get up next year and stabilise for a year, then maybe they'll be eyeing like the likes of, of European qualification. But Shells will win that league by a mile. Um, the story of the season, Treaty United. So they were formed uh, in the matter of, of days, really. Um, they put an application in to replace uh, the Shamrock Rovers second team, a reserve team that were playing in the first division last year. That was very controversial in itself. The first division clubs were totally opposed to having a reserve team in the league. But um, the fact that, I suppose they were the only one putting their hand up at the time to fill to fill the place left by the, the old Limerick club that folded. Um, there was no real choice but to bring them in and make up an even number of teams. But they were um, put to one side this year because Treaty United applied another new club totally formed uh, from the ashes, really. that They have no yeah. history behind them. Uh, Dublin, I think they were going to call themselves Dublin County FC. They put in an application, but uh, for whatever reason, the FEI said the treaty was the better applicant. That was the right decision as well, by the way. Uh, treaty are based in Limerick, but they are separate to the old Limerick club that's there. Uh, they had a women's team operating in the women's league, so they kind of used that as, as a basis to show their professionalism and the fact that they could run a club properly. And uh, they've come in this year. They were only given notice a couple of weeks before the season started that they got the green light, they got their license to play. So Tommy Barrett, their manager that came in, who was the manager of the old Limerick side, he only had a matter of days to put together a team. He's done an absolutely incredible job to build the team that he did and to have them where they are on the table. And it would be absolutely fantastic to see them in the playoffs at the end of the year. So I really hope they can keep their form up. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's really interesting to see some of the championship clubs in there. I mean, Wexford are obviously a team at the bottom. I know I spoke to, to Jack Doherty for my show. And, yeah. you know, Jack's for a long Ipswich Town and obviously was at Longford as well and I know Keen Freeney who's a, a big follower of the show kind of keeps an eye on a lot of teams in the League of Ireland as well so it's always worth to keep an eye on that but um, you know a really competitive league and it'll be interesting to see who gets that second spot and that opportunity to, to come up via the playoff Well how it works is second, third uh, fourth and fifth go into the playoffs so essentially oh, yes, yes. essentially half of the league goes into the playoffs which is uh, amazing it really keeps it competitive but some people would argue should a team that finish fourth or fifth um, should they be in the playoffs um, look I'm a Lanford fan Lanford got promoted through been fourth so I'm not going to argue with it but um, <laughs> uh, yeah it, 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 it makes it extremely competitive um, so so there's going to be loads of teams fighting for, for something until the end of the season which is yeah. fantastic to see Absolutely. Now, we like a little bit of uh, bad predictions on the show, so I'm going to go head-to-head with you in terms of the games this coming week, the, the 2nd and, and 3rd of July, the next round of matches. I mean, some really interesting games, particularly in the, in the Premiership. Uh, Drogheda against Finn Harps, Derry City, Waterford, Bohemians against St. Pat's, that's a big game at Dealamont. Uh, yep. Shamrock Rovers against Dundalk at Tala, 
and uh, Longford, your team, obviously, against Sligo Rovers. I mean, what do you think of some of those games? Uh, right, we'll go through them one by one. Yeah. Give, give me the first one again. Start with Drogheda and Finn Harps. Yeah, I've actually been at um, the draw of Finn Harps games twice. Uh, or sorry, I was at one of them this season when they played in when they played in Head in the Game Park, which is a great story that I should mention, by the way. So, Drogheda Stadium, um, they had a competition about 10 years ago where you could buy a ticket to win the naming rights. And people, local people and businesses all bought tickets. And eventually the, the draw was done this year. And it just happened that a local um, Sinn Féin councillor won the draw and decided to give the name and rights away to um, a newly formed mental health advocacy, advocacy group called Head in the Game. I'm actually involved with, with the lads. Um, they were That's formed right. last year. They're, the, the main membership, I suppose, would be lads coming from Dundalk, but they've branched out in recent times. But um, there was a very sad story last year. Uh, Dundalk's groundsman, but he was much more than that. He did the videos for them. He kind of was the lifeblood of the club, a, a guy called Harry Taft. He he sadly passed away and uh, through suicide and um, off the back of that, a couple of Dundalk fans got together and said, this is happening far too much with, with men in this country. We need to do something. So they decided to form this group that would promote mental health through football, through starting out in Italy, through the League of Ireland. But they, they hope to grow the group nationally mm-hmm. to everybody. But start out with the League of Ireland. and Let that be a, a force for good. So that group has really grown and grown and grown. There's been some great initiatives done. Credit, I've criticised the FEI a few times tonight, but credit to them. They've got on board with Head in the Game. And recently for, for the month of May, which was Mental Health Awareness Month, every captain in the league wore a Head in the Game armband. There was money raised through that. Uh, there's been loads of fundraising done. Um, they're not actually a charity themselves. As I said, they're more of a, a an advocacy group. So they have partnerships with Shine and Jigsaw, who are two very well-known mental health um, groups or charities in this country. And they released their own jersey, a head in the game jersey, which was sold. And the money from that went to those groups. So they've done a lot. But um, going back to the story about the draw at the stadium, the, the, the lady, uh, the Sinn Féin councillor, she gave up the name and rights and gave it to the group and the club were happy for that to happen and they renamed their stadium Head in the Game Park so any time that that name is announced straight away you, you think of, of mental health and it really is fantastic so Drotter have done an awful lot right on the pitch this season but off the pitch they're doing so much right as well I know their chairman Connor Hoey very well a great guy and uh, credit to the work they're doing but look on the game itself I was at the game earlier in the year Head in the Game Park it was a 1-1 draw very entertaining game. I think the other game they played this year was quite tight as well. So I'd expect this one to be along the same lines. Haven't seen Finn Harps on Friday as well. Uh, they're well organised. They were a bit wasteful with their chances against Longford. I think we might be looking at a draw again here in that one. Mm-hmm. I fancy a draw as well. I wouldn't mind if it was something like 2-2 because I think it could be quite an open game. But I, I did fancy a draw before we announced that uh, scoreline there. So I'm going to go for a draw. Uh, Derry City at home to Waterford. This could be a, a big game for both teams, particularly for Waterford if they're going to get away from that, that trouble at the bottom. Waterford going through a good spell at the minute. They beat Longford on the Monday night and then they went to Pats and, and got a draw on Friday, which was a disaster from a Longford point of view because... We were scrapping for our lives up in Finn Park at the time and managed to pick up a point. And I took out live score after expecting to see Pats beating Waterford, seeing that it was a draw. So we were back where we started. We were still four points adrift in Waterford, which was frustrating. But look, uh, there's a long way to go. So I uh, could really do a Derry doing Longford a favour here. And I think they will just have slightly too much for Waterford. But Waterford are much more organised than they were. I think it'll be a tight game. I'd probably go 2-1 to Derry. Yeah, I'm going to go for a 1-0 home one. I think it'll be pretty close in that one, but I, I think it'll be 
very, very tight. Now, Bohemians uh, against St. Patrick's. And, of course, Bohemians off the back of, uh, you know, a bit, a bit of a mixed bag of late. Yeah, what, what a game this is. This is absolutely massive. Um, as you said, Bo's a little bit up and down. Pats have really caught fire in the last few weeks. And the meetings between these two tra tra traditionally are quite tight. The game earlier in the season was decided by a very late goal as well. So oh, I could be here all day. Um, oh, I find it very hard to call. Bo's will have a couple of fans in as well, get behind them. I, I think it might be a draw, but again, it could go either way, a flip of a coin, that one. I'm going to go away one, and I'm sorry that's to probably, that, that, that's that's probably the game to watch this weekend if if people are looking for a game to watch. I've that's not, the one. I've nothing against Bohemians as a club, but they did beat Aberdeen a few years ago in the <laughs> Europa League or UEFA old UEFA Cup, I think, back in the early 2000s or late 90s, and uh, you know <laughs> it was one of Aberdeen's most embarrassing results, I think, in Europe. But uh, I think St Pat's might get a, 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 an away win there to really uh, highlight their credentials for a. A bit of a title push. Now, Dundalk away to Shamrock. This is a, a heavyweight clash, this one. Yeah, and uh, Dundalk actually beat Shamrock Rovers earlier in the season when they were going through all sorts off the pitch. So it goes to show they can deliver a performance on the day. And obviously, Vinnie Perth has come back in as manager there. So for anyone not familiar with that story, Vinnie Perth was Stephen Kenny's assistant through Dundalk's era of dominance when Kenny left to become the Ireland under-21 manager and subsequently the Ireland manager. Uh, Vinnie Perth became the Dundalk manager and he had instant success, won the league, won the League Cup and was a penalty shooter away from winning the clean, the clean sweep and winning the treble. Um, slightly slow start to last season and was sacked by the club very harshly. He had kind of the owner uh, there, I mentioned it, they're, they're an American ownership group. They're very unpopular with the Dundalk fans and they might be um, up in sticks and leaving at the end of this year from what I can see. And mm. it would be the best thing that could happen to that club because they are an absolute disaster of an ownership group. But there was rumours of um, kind of interference from upstairs and team selection and things like that. So it's a massive surprise that Vinnie Perth has gone back into that environment to work for the same people. And obviously you have the factor of, he now answers to Jim Magilton as well. So how is that exactly. dynamic going to work? Because if you read the papers here, Jim Magilton did not want Vinnie Perth to be the Dundalk manager. So that's a story in itself. As I said, Dundalk, you, could do, you, you should probably do a podcast on Dundalk if you get a chance um, and speak to people from around the town and they'll tell you some stories from this season. But um, yeah, going up against going up against the Shamrock Rovers team that have stuttered in recent weeks and could really do with, we, with regaining the winning thread. Um, I just always feel when I look at this Dundalk team, they're going to give you chances. Either the goalkeeper or someone in the back four is going to make a mistake. I think this is might be the game where Rovers get back to win and win. I, so I, I go, I go, I go 2-1 Rovers. I'm going to go exactly the same score and I'm going to go 2-1 Shamrock as well. Now, onto your team because you're at home and you're up against Sligo or on a bit of a run at the moment. Is this the worst time to play them? Yeah, because I was saying that after we came out of, of the game at Donegal the other night with, with my friend Gary, I said to him, uh, we could really do with Bose doing a number on Sligo tomorrow night to knock the confidence out of them. And what happened? Sligo went absolutely trounced balls last cool, night. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're coming down here full of confidence. But um, the two games this season between the two times, uh, the two teams have been very, very tight. In the opening game in Longford, it was a brutal game of football. Sligo had all of the ball, but they didn't do anything with it. I was disappointed with them on the night. Uh, they won the game through a set piece, which has been Longford's Achilles heel, not only this year, but last year in the first division. They just leak set pieces. Every time a team gets a corner, you mm -hmm. think we're going behind here. That's not a healthy way to live. And if Longford can't get a, a, a fix on that in the next few weeks, they're going to be relegated. There's no doubt about it. You cannot stay in the top flight of football in any country if you can't defend a basic set piece. So they need to sort that out. 
Uh, but the other game in Sligo was 2-0 and it was decided through a goalkeeping error from our end and um, an, an individual moment of, of brilliance. So that's been the story with a lot of Longford's games this season. They've either made individual errors or they've had just a bit of luck go against them. So they could do with their luck turning. Um, and that has, we've seen signs of that in recent weeks in the game against Dundalk. We drew 2-2 in Oriel Park. Uh, we had a pe- they, they missed a penalty, Dundalk, our keeper saved it. And the same happened the other night in Finn Park as well. Our keeper made a brilliant save from a penalty. So there's a little bit of luck starting to turn our way, but we really need it to dial up another few uh, few notches if we're, if we're going to stay in this league. So look, this won't be an easy game. Longford will set up to frustrate and play on the counter, but I, I do see Sligo probably having a little too much for us. I want you to come back on my show, so I'm going to go for a draw. <laughs> I think I'll go one with a hope. And sorry to Sligo fans who are listening, because uh, I had Gerard Little on the show, and he was the manager at Sligo once upon a time. But yeah. I, I think that'll be a, a good game, and you know, I, I, I like to see the underdog teams do well. So I hope Longford can can have it's a, a it's a bit of a local derby as well. It wouldn't be your kind of traditional local derby where there's real hatred. There's actually a real uh, camaraderie between the two sets of fans. It's called the N4 derby. Um, <laughs> and when Sligo would have played in cup finals at the Aviva Longford Town fans would have gone up uh, well actually the train from Sligo passes through Longford Longford fans yeah. would have gone to the platform in Sligo holding up uh, placards to wish them the best of luck and I suppose when Longford are going well Sligo fans like to see another kind of uh, country club doing well so there's a real respect and friendship between the two sets of fans um, and when Sligo play in Longford it would be it would be usually one of the bigger gates you'd get a huge away following so it's unfortunate that won't be the case this weekend, but um, just just a little side story for your listeners there. You'll be doing a lot of preparation for that game. I take it on the old social media front for that. That'll be that'll be good fun. Yeah, well, as I said, I'm involved with the with the media team um, at Longford Town, and I, I commentate on their games. Um, I work full time as a broadcaster, so I've given my services voluntarily to the club, um, and that's uh, I've given you a lot of side stories. Tonight. I'll give you one more. As I said, with the LOI TV now, the club's doing their own streams. A lot of the other bigger clubs, your Rovers, your Dundalk, etc., they have gone out and hired media companies to do their streaming for them, mm-hmm. paying big sums of money. That's absolutely fine. But we decided at Longford, we're not going to do that. We're the only club in the Premier Division producing our own stream. We're absolutely blessed that we have the people with the, the skills to do that. Uh, Gary Riley, who hosts the podcast with myself and John, he's a complete wizard with technology. Yeah. Um, so he's kind of put all of the systems in place. And I, I wouldn't be great with that type of stuff. So I, I can't really explain it to you in depth, but he has put all of the streaming capabilities and all of everything needs to be built online. He, he, he looks after all of that. He produces the stream itself. Um, I provided the club with a gaming laptop. I'm not a gamer. I went out of my way and bought a gaming laptop to give to the club because I knew that it needs to be up to a certain spec for streaming. So I gave them a laptop. Another guy, a good friend of mine, Ethan Fitzy, he gave them a laptop. So we donated them to the club. I donated microphones and other bits of equipment. Um, and then I donate my services um, as a commentator. Uh, we have a, a guy off the local radio that, that does call comms with me. Uh, and then we've got James Donnelly, the, the club's um, only full-time employee. He's now the, the, the kind of managing director of the club, looks after all the social media and stuff. He does the camera work. And then we have Gary doing the stream. So we're all doing that. Um, and, and we're kind of quite proud to say that we are the only club producing our own stream because not trying to blow our own horn here, but if you look at it, it's quite professional as well. The graphics really? are very good. The commentary is good. It's totally unbiased. You wouldn't know that we're long for fans. We, we, if a goal goes in at the other end, we're shouting as much as, as if it's long for goal. So we're quite proud of what we put together there. So um, I, I would suggest your, your listeners definitely check out a long for game through uh, LOI TV if they get a chance. 
Absolutely. I certainly will be after this discussion because I think it's been absolutely fantastic. For those who want to know a little bit more about Between the Stripes, you can find them at Between the Stripes on Twitter. They also have a YouTube channel and obviously you can find them uh, on a podcast as well, whenever you listen. You can find them at uh, betweenthestripes.net on the old, uh, internet if you want to check out the content of written articles and podcast chats as well as BTS TV uh, as well. Kieran, it's been great to have you on the show. We're coming very much to the end of the podcast. Um, I guess my, my, my final question to you is, what does the future hold for you and, and who's going to win the Euros? <laughs> um. Who's going to win the Euros? We'll start there. I backed Germany before the start of it, um, and I know they've been a little bit shaky through the group stages, but I'm fully expecting them to give England the right pace than now on Tuesday night. So um, if that happens, I'll be feeling a lot more confident about my bet. So uh, I'll stick with my initial pick, Germany. And uh, the future for myself, uh, look, who knows? I suppose I've been very lucky. Um, the, the League of Ireland has given me opportunities Um I suppose it's more of a niche market, isn't it? Um, it'd be probably harder to break through if you're trying to cover the Premier League in England or whatever. There's so many people doing it, but I suppose um, I've carved out a little bit of a market for myself with the League of Ireland. I don't make a penny off between the stripes. I do that totally out of love of the game. It actually it actually costs me thousands of euro a year to run it. So um, I better just say that first, but I just love doing it. I love <laughs> Particularly the podcast, I really enjoy talking to the two lads every week and the reaction we get from people and and speaking to people around the league is great you're always talking to people and making contact it really is great and uh, I really enjoyed the commentary side of things as well um, so I suppose I'm hoping maybe more opportunities might open up for myself down the road let it be with, with a, a broadcaster or something although I've, I've given RT a bit of a hard time there tonight so I'm not sure they'll have my number on speed <laughs> dial but uh, look hopefully they'll say ah look his heart is in the right place so uh, look, from my point of view, as I said, hopefully more opportunities for myself down the line. I'm very lucky to be working as a full-time broadcaster now as well. So uh, I'm living the dream really at the moment. Um, and, and hopefully Longford will stay up and, and I'll be a very happy man. And where can people find you on uh, Twitter personally or, or, or other social media networks? Uh, yeah, my Twitter handle is uh, at Kieran. So that's K-I-E-R-A-N underscore B under, underscore sport. So you'll find me on Twitter there. And uh, I'm not really into the old Instagram and Facebook and that. So I'll just give you my Twitter. You can find me yeah, there. No, or if you, want to follow, if you want to follow Between the Stripes, it's at Between Stripes. Or just search Between the Stripes and you'll find us there. Yeah, absolutely. And check out Longford Town as well because uh, they've got some really good content on their Twitter page and, and YouTube channel. And obviously, as I mentioned, Between the Stripes is some very good content. I think that's every week, isn't it, you do that show? Is it every Tuesday? <laughs> Uh, well, it dep- again, work. I'm working full time, so it really just uh, whenever I get a free day or a free couple of hours, we do it. But we do like to try and get it out early during the week, usually. So a Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, if you check, you'll usually find it. So again, if you check our socials, we're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you'll find the links there. Or if you just subscribe to Between the Stripes LOI podcast, wherever you get your podcast, it'll go straight into your inbox and you can listen to it whenever you like. But it's every well, week. Well, hopefully after our discussion, a lot more people will tune into your to your show from Scotland and from elsewhere, uh, wherever. Yeah, well, I suppose I've, I've, got a, I've got a bit of an interest in the Scottish football myself, I suppose, because uh, my girlfriend studied in Scotland for a number of years. She was in Sterling for, for uh-huh. three years. So I didn't actually get to a Sterling game, unfortunately. Whenever I was over, they were playing away. But I used to, you know, do the usuals, head up to, to Celtic Park in Glasgow and watch a game. Uh, but I actually did take in a game, probably one of the stranger games I've took in, was Alloa against Falkirk. Um, it was probably the worst game of football I've ever watched in my life. Uh, 
<laughs> two teams were bottom. I think they were both in League One at the time. They were both bottom of League One. I think I think Falkirk might have scraped a one 0 win. I think I remember them banging one in from about a yard out um, <laughs> on the old Astro turf there in Alloa. Uh, I think I paid oh, yeah. seventeen Before pounds in to watch it as well. Yeah, but uh, yeah, at least uh, no the the, the halftime pie and uh, the bother was good, so uh, at least I took something out of it. But uh, I do like to keep an eye on on the Scottish league. So uh, yeah, so if we can get a few more Scottish listeners listening to uh, the Between the Strikes LOI podcast, and I promise I listen to a few Scottish podcasts, including your own. Thanks, thanks very much, Kieran. Much appreciated. Uh, once again, really great uh, of you to come on the show and give my guests and listenership a little bit more of an understanding of the League of Ireland and myself as well, because I wanted to know a little bit more about it myself. Thanks very much for coming on Campbell's Footballs and all the very best to everyone associated with Longford Town and everybody associated with all the clubs in the League of Ireland for the rest of the season. Thanks very much. Really enjoyed it, Grant. Well, listener, that brings us to the end of yet another episode of Campbell's Footballs. I hope this podcast was just what the doctor ordered. If you want to listen to previous shows or look out for future shows, follow Campbell's Footballs on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to other podcasts. You can also follow the show on Facebook at Campbell's Footballs, Search for me, StatoG91, on Instagram or other social media channels. But until then, until next time, I hope you enjoyed the crack and enjoy Campbell's Footballs. What a dangerous night.